0: fm podcast this is scott kesterson and tonight you're listening to a special guest our special guest pastor brad cummings this war is real fighting is everything even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students, they become the bards of war. Good evening patriots and today is Thanksgiving, November 24th in the year 2022 and it is a Thursday on the eve of the craziest shopping day in the world, known as Black Plague Friday. So if you're getting ready for that tomorrow, because now that you've been filled with turkey, you're feeling good, and all sorts of naps today and more pumpkin pie, then I would suggest that you make sure you get your sidearm ready, your baseball bat in hand, and put on some body armor have it ready at the door before you go shopping tomorrow because it's going to get a little bit crazy. That's what happens on Fridays when people get all pent up and they're going to get something free. But what can we say? Before we begin, make sure that you're, if you're going to do shopping, you might want to check out MyPillow. They've got a great deal and special going on right now on our favorite product. We even had a slipper revolution for it last year, the my slipper.
1: Hello, I'm Mike Lindell and I'm excited to announce my original my slippers are back in stock. Last Christmas, you made them the number one selling MyPillow product and now I've added smaller sizes, larger sizes, wide sizes, and all new colors. And with your promo code, you still save $90 a pair. What makes my slippers different is my exclusive four layer design that you're not gonna find in any other slippers. My slippers patented layers make them ultra comfortable, extremely durable, and they help relieve stress on your feet. Wear them anytime, anywhere you'll absolutely love my slippers. And I'm extending my 60 day money back guarantee until March 1st, 2023, making them the best Christmas gifts ever. So go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen now. Use your promo code to save $90 on my original my slippers. That's only $49.98 a pair. Quantities won't last long. So please order now.
0: That's mypillow.com forward slash Bards. Your promo code is Bards, the most popular promo code on the web. So many people want that promo code and we'll give it to them as long as they have good products for Patriots. That's the bottom line. Hey, Patriots, one other thing, and it is a Black Friday special since we are having Plague Black Friday tomorrow, and I do need to draw your attention to it because it's through Birch Gold, and it is the one place that we need if you need to secure your money in this crazy time we are in. Patriots, we are living through a time when inflation is continuing to plague our economy, our families, and our savings. And the irresponsible spending of the left just continues to exacerbate the problem. This year, we witnessed almost every kind of negative economic record, from empty grocery store shelves to 40-year high inflation. Don't let your savings wither away. Hedge against inflation with gold from Birch Gold. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 for your free info kit on diversifying into gold. Plus, when you do it this month, buy Black Friday, get a free gold bar with every purchase that you make by December 22nd. With almost 20 years experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs, Birch Gold can help you. Don't allow the left to devalue your savings. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S to 989898 and claim your free info kit from birch gold again you can own physical gold and silver in a tax sheltered retirement account and birch gold will help you do it once again text bards bards to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and ensure your eligibility for a free gold bar with every purchase secure your future with gold do it today Remember, text BARDS, B A R D S, to 989898. Yes, gold and silver is a good gift this year for Christmas, considering our paper is worth nothing. It's also a good to- con- topic of conversation around the Thanksgiving table, especially over pie and ice cream, when you look across at your loving liberal friends and family members and you say, by the way, I like Mike Lindell and I want you to have a my pillow for Christmas and I'm also gonna give you a silver coin because your money ain't gonna be worth nothing. Something like that. It works pretty well. It's a nice and op it's a nice opener. And then you want to add the last thing is were you vaxxed? <laughs> and then just go back to casually just chewing on your pie. It's all good. All right, Patriots. So tonight we have Pastor Brad Cummings, the great Pastor Brad Cummings, good friend of mine. I love this man dearly, and we've come to be just very close over the last couple of years, and we have so many conversations that are great. This is another good one, and we're going to be talking about Joseph tonight, and I think you'll find this very enlightening, and I couldn't think of a better person to have for this Thanksgiving than to have Pastor Brad Cummings. So with that, Patriots, and oh, by the way, this is a two-parter, just so I say it, part one now, part two and the Fisher's time block. In between then, you have enough time when we finish this, do our closeout, you can run in and get some more pie and ice cream, and then you'll be totally loaded up while you sit down to listen to the kilted Christian who's going to do his thing tonight. And then after that, you can hear part two of the Brad Cummings interview. It's a good thing. And then each in between each one of those, I think you've got about 15 minutes to get reloaded with pie and ice cream. And maybe if you want to do pie ice cream in Turkey, you might do that, too. I don't know what your favorite pie is. I Thanksgiving to me is defined by one pie, and it's pumpkin pie. That's just, that's it. Thank, Christmas, a little different. We do a family tradition of a recipe my grandmother made. It's called the sour cream raisin meringue pie. My dad now makes it. She won a national competition for it. And then we also have a pecan pie that my mom makes. That's Christmas. But when it comes to Thanksgiving, one pie, that's Pumpkin pie we started that last night too, so I don't know where you're at, that's where I'm at. For you Canadians, you will I'll tell you we could probably spark a revolution in Canada if we could teach you all how to make proper American pumpkin pies. You would realize why we have red, white, and blue in our flag, why we fight so hard to keep our pumpkin pies. Pretty much it. All right, Patriots, here we go. Pastor Brad Cummings. By the way, happy Thanksgiving. Well, Patriots, I figured that for Thanksgiving, there's no better way to enjoy Thanksgiving in a show than to bring on my dear friend, one of America's great pastors, as you are getting to know him to be, by the way, because if you didn't know before, you will know by the end of this show. This is Pastor Brad Cummings, and he's going to join us today for what I think will be a really enlightening discussion as we kind of go back in the beginning of the biblical stories and look at how this applies to today today and the twists and turns of how this global cabal has actually used the Bible itself as a framing to do the Great Reset. So I think you'll find this very interesting, and of course, as Thanksgiving goes, this is a great time to call in your family and to tell them how much you love Trump and like Mike Lindell, especially if you have a bunch of liberals (laughs) in in your family. So Brad, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you, Scott. What a pleasure. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Well, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. So, Brad, we were we've been having some great discussions, which I'm excited to share with the many people out here. And it's all been kind of based on the misunderstanding of Joseph's work. And I, I think we've taken this for granted a lot and we talk we reference it a lot in this day, especially because we talk about building up stores, which is true and then time to need to prepare and to be good stewards of what God gives us and a good stewards of what's to come. But you've really opened my eyes into a deeper part of that story, which i just really like to dig into today.
2: It was weird. I, I remember when we first talked about this, I think I was just getting to know you. I was out in my backyard uh, uh, putting together a uh, a, um, a generator, You know, getting doing my Joseph preparations. And I was finishing building uh, an axe-throwing target. That's some (laughs) of my other preparations. Okay. So here I am talking to warrior Scott Kesterson as I'm being my manly self in the backyard. And I I remember bringing up Joseph going like, hey, I'd be kind of curious what you think about this. Um, I'm pretty sure this will get us thrown in the Bible heretic um, realm i Of rebels. Okay. Because Joseph is usually off. Um, it's like, it, it, you, you can't really say anything negative about Joseph because he's always uses a type of Christ. And so if you look at Joseph and you somehow think that somehow he's not like sanitized and perfect, you're messing with a type of Christ. And I'm going like, okay, so I grew up with that. But when I looked at how he handled the famine, you know, it's like, I kind of went, wow, I'm going to make a statement, a bold statement. I think he did the first great Reset Nation takedown on the Egyptians. And, and it's I agree. like Somehow he didn't say it this simply, but at the end of the day, they owned nothing and they were happy. <laughs> and I sat there like, we have a Klaus Angel Schwab who said the same thing. And I'm a little nervous about it.
0: Now I think that's a really good point. And it, this is, again, one of the challenges we have as we start to put Bible in context. I think when we, when we speak of scripture many times in a vacuum, we're able to build these narratives that seem very nice. They're very pristine. There's a lot of cleanliness. You know how many times I've talked about Joshua and Jericho, because we like to, we all like that story until we get to the walls fall down. And then we <laughs> like quickly do this, um, and he managed to kill every man, woman, child, and donkey. Okay, moving on. I mean, it, it's literally like we yeah, don't yeah, want to yeah. move along. <laughs> nothing to see here. Don't get hung up on the details. <laughs> don't, don't don't look there right now. That's a little messy. But let's let's keep moving. And it, it's a very brutal story. And when you think about it, and I think this is another one of these that. And I, and I say this again for everybody that's listening. Take it to prayer, but do listen to what there is to hear here because Brad has provided an interesting, very interesting, and for me, very eye-opening look at the events of early Egypt that ultimately leads us into the Israelites being enslaved. So, Brad, I'm going to kind of turn it to you and talk a little bit through this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I first want to like lay the foundation, the fact that Joseph is a pretty remarkable guy. And, you know, here he is, he's one of two brothers that were born to Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And we're already going to get into some sticky territory because Joseph ended up having two wives and two concubines and 12 sons between them. And it's like, wow, that doesn't fit into the nice little neat little package of one wife, happy life. You you just go like okay, wow, this is interesting. And so Joseph was favored by Jacob and he was given that multicolored coat. And it's like he he didn't really recognize that the wonderful dream he had of them all bowing down to him and being daddy's little favorite with the multicolored coat really sort of made all the other brothers intensely jealous such that they conspired to kill him and when they didn't quite kill him they decided to make it look like they had and they sold him off to slavery and he went to egypt and if you're joseph you're probably going like this is not how i thought the dream would come true you know i thought i had my great prophetic word i thought i was going to be this wonderful you know ruler and all this great stuff and i was excited to share that with y'all and then you you, you tried to kill me throw me sell me off into slavery and he ends up in Potiphar's house. And what's interesting is Potiphar's the captain of the palace guard. Um, he's the chief of Pharaoh's executioners or one of the chief assassins of Egypt. And we don't we don't kind of read it that way. We say, like, oh, he was in Potiphar's house. And it's kind of like the dude's badass. I mean, <laughs> you you couldn't be in a, in a worse house if you were gonna like do something sideways. So here he is. Raised up in the chief assassin's house of Pharaoh, and the guy's a eunuch. And, you know, again, we'll make it PG, but it means he doesn't have all the same equipment. So when when Potiphar, Potiphar's wife kind of, you know, kind of does the Old Testament line, hey, lie with me, um, he says no. And, and, and Joseph's this good little boy, like, I, I can't sin against God. And and I, I just kind of, so Joseph is a good kid. He's, you know, Potiphar's wife, who um, is married to a eunuch. You can kind of suggest like, wow, she kind of comes on to Joseph, who's a handsome lad. And I, I taught tennis when I was a, a young buck in, in Malibu. So I had plenty of Potiphar's wives that <laughs> were, were and I, I was the good little, I, I love Joseph. I went, Joseph is that guy. He says, Look, it's not like you're not pretty, that's great, but guess what? I care too much about my relationship with God to sin against it. I think that's extraordinary. So I do not want to disparage Joseph at all. You know, it's like somehow in the whole midst of that he gets wrongly accused and thrown in jail. Again, not the way you think your prophetic dream is going to come true. And he's he's stuck in jail and he, he he's got great administrative skills and so he sort of gets put in charge of the prison. And, you know, it's like he's but he's there for many, many years. You got to think that that's not very fun. A couple of guys have have a couple of dreams and he interprets them and he interprets them correctly such that the dude, um, his dream turned out really well. When all of a sudden Pharaoh had a dream. He says, you know, I remember this guy in prison who could interpret dreams. So Pharaoh's all troubled about the dream. And he summons for for Joseph to be brought from the prison to the palace. And he kind of says, nobody can interpret my dream. Well, it's kind of funny. I thought Pharaoh, if we last checked in, he was the embodiment of God, very God dwelling on the earth. It's rather interesting that he has a dream and he and all of his gods can't come up with interpretation. That's just an interesting note that I just had as as, as a thought aside. I'm like, wow. So Joseph kind of says, well, it's God who gives interpretations. And again, I'm going like, wow, Joseph, do you not realize you're standing in front of the Egyptian form of God? And you're saying that it's God who has the interpretation. So again, I go like Joseph, he's got a genuine relationship with the living God. That's what's that's how he survived this whole time. And he's pretty committed to God because he's been faithful And now he's in front of the most powerful ruler of all the world at the time. And it's sort of like his head's on the chopping block if he doesn't have an answer. And his response is, it's God who's going to answer you, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had this dream about, you know, seven fat cows coming out of the Nile. And then all of a sudden, seven skinny, ugly, rotten cows coming out of the Nile and eating the fat cows. And he's disturbed by the dream. And he had the dream a second time. And Joseph responds and says, well, the, the the reason you had the dream twice is it means the matter has been decided in heaven and it will come to pass. And he gives the interpretation that it's, you know, you're gonna have seven years of abundance followed by seven years of severe famine, which will sort of overtake and consume the abundance. And Pharaoh's amazed by this and puts Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. It's like nothing's going to happen except by Joseph's words and his command. And he is made, you know, the de facto ruler of all the empire of the earth, the big bad place of, of the world at that time. And Joseph goes about taking inventory of the whole land. And he obviously didn't do that by himself, did that through a whole bunch of workers and stuff like that. But he gets the whole inventory and then they start making a plan of what to do with the seven years of surplus. And they make big, huge storehouses of grain and all this. And so they they prepare all this and and he gets ready for the years of difficulty. And what's so amazing is the famine is said to have been something that affects the whole earth. And you just go like, wow, that's not like a small little famine. And it's just all the nations of the earth at some point juncture came to Egypt because they were out of food. It was that severe. And you're going like, wow, that's not like a, a minor deal. It's not like just a little Mesopotamian thing. It's like it's it's far and wide. And you're just going like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And Joseph is the guy who's sort of administering all of this difficulty. Well, the reason I thought this story was kind of interesting was largely because we're about to experience a similar event. We, we have a famine that is coming that has been it's seemingly engineered or ineptitude has brought us there, but I think it's more engineered than anything else, but it's so much so that we're not going to escape it. You know, how quickly will it come upon us? Who will it come upon it's, I don't think anyone's going to escape it. It will be more difficult in some areas, and it'll be far more difficult for those who are blindsided by it. But I do think there's an awful lot in Joseph's life that you go like, wow, we would take a good note to kind of go like, this is a this is a global thing that's going to happen, and Joseph might have a whole bunch of wisdom for us in what we do to prepare for it. And so that's how I sort of began kind of just getting a little refreshed with Joseph and looking at it. But then in the midst of looking at it, I got a little bothered by the fact that um, he basically dispossesses all of Egypt of everything that it owns in the process of the seven years of famine that he keeps making exchanges with them, where at the end of it, Pharaoh owns everything and the Egyptians are just glad to have been fed through the difficulty.
0: This is an interesting-
2: And then you you know, press,
0: go ahead. Well, I think it's interesting here because one of the things that strikes me is the inclination to go to central planning. When you start to see a crisis, and we're, we see this now constantly in this dialogue of, and this is kind of Q-esque, but it's in the end, the military is the only way. So there's a frustration that has happened over the last 20-plus uh, years, and we're seeing that how the politics of the nation are being steered by one particular minority group. We're looking at the corruption in the election process in many levels. It's not just one thing. We're seeing the corruption in political bodies, and we keep looking for an answer, and we're willing to hand off everything to a force in this in this QS model of, the military is the only way. that You're talking about a centralized planning organization that is you're willing to strip away all your rights for to rectify a situation, which in this case, in this specific example, is more, we'll call it, more of a cultural freedom uh, famine, where we're losing the freedoms and liberties of our nation, a constitutional famine. And that's leading to a bigger famine, which is also... Uh, food, which is on the horizon. And I, I think there's a sense in people at a certain point that somehow central planning will solve it. So as you started to share this with me, what I find interesting right off the, off the bat is that the willingness of the Egyptians to accept someone who was given the authority by Pharaoh to trust in a central planning model that will benefit everyone And they do this and give up everything for the sake of helping everyone with a major cost.
2: Well, it's, it's interesting because there's several layers to this. They, they first have a belief system that Pharaoh is the, you know, he's God incarnate. Okay. So they got a belief structure that kind of puts him as the head guy. So if Pharaoh speaks or whom he's given um, powers to Joseph, he's made second to 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 Pharaoh and it's like it's like Pharaoh is kind of sitting back watching Joseph take the lead and take over and it's because Pharaoh was so amazed he said to all of his other priests and everything else have we ever found such a man in whom a divine spirit dwells and I'm going like gosh you guys don't even believe your own idolatry <laughs> that's this, great. Pharaoh is supposed to be that guy. And they're so amazed by Joseph that they're like, wow. But it's interesting. The Egyptians, it's like the first thing that happens is they gather up all the money. So they just gather up all the money. It's like an edict tossed out there. And everyone has to, you know, bring in their gold or whatever it is that they have as their money at that time. And then they buy up everything that's out there. And our government's been doing this. It's like they they tax us heavily, but they've been buying up all kinds of things everywhere. And I don't know what they're doing with it, but I'm pretty sure they're not putting it in silos for us. But Joseph's crowd, they were buying up everything. And and if people want to know where we are in the Bible, it's Genesis chapter 47, where the famine hits. And verse 13 is the, the first one where it says, now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe, such that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished, and Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, and, and he bought grain, and then he brought the rest of the money to, to Pharaoh. So he he bought his, everything he could buy up. but then they still had more money, and he gave that all to Pharaoh. And then the next moment, you know, the, the next thing came where it's like the people, they don't have any means now. It's as if the economy was shifted on them in an, in an instant. And now they don't have the decision making buying power that they once did. And so they end up going like, hey, our money has gone. What do we do? And Joseph says, well, here, I'll make you this deal. Um, You give me your uh, livestock. And I'll give you grain, I'll give you food. And so he's taken their money and then in the next exchange to keep them going, he takes all their livestock, their cows, their sheep, their herds, their donkeys. And you're just going like, well, it's not to have a big barbecue, but he takes their means of production. And in return, he gives them food. So now they're in a place of dependency. But guess who, guess who that does not apply to? The priests of Pharaoh. There's an exempted class that's not, not having to be part of this. And there's also another an exempted class, Joseph's family that lives in Goshen. The Israelites have prospered. They, they, they've done well, but they're not having to do this because they're, they're part of the preferred class. And so you're just go like, wow, this is interesting. There's an elite, and then there's the rest of us. And the rest of us are the ones who are being dispossessed in this process. And so they have to give up their, their cattle in exchange for food. And then the next year they have to come back. And so you're just go like, well, the, the famine is severe, but guess what? People are surviving. They're They're dealing with it, but they no longer have their money. And they no longer have their means of producing stuff. That's being taken from them. And then in verse 18, it says, you know, they come back and it's like, there's nothing left. We don't have our money. The the cattle is now my Lord's. And it's like, they haven't eaten the cattle. They just don't have it. And they said, the only thing left is our bodies and our land. And they come up with the idea by us and our land, and we'll be slaves to Pharaoh. And so, I don't want to just put this completely on Joseph, but I'm pretty sure at this moment, I'm going like, hey, Joseph, are you really talking with God about how to use this moment to save everybody and the world? Because do you really need more stuff?
0: Well, this is interesting here to ask the question as well as where the opportunistic point comes in with Pharaoh. You can't take this out of the equation. And we—it's this is conjecture because there's no, I don't think there's any um, exact fact here, but it definitely. We're suggests, not told a verse that gives us Pharaoh's mind. Right, exactly. But there, we do see a pattern here that's suggesting that as he's blessing, so I'm kind of doing it indirectly, if he's blessing Joseph to move forward, I am really questioning whether there's benevolence or opportunism. Based here, Right. Because opportunism from power is, is always prevalent. And since we know that he's not, he's not the almighty God of the one God, he is the almighty God of whoever, right? Turtle Island or or Satan himself. And, um,
2: Jekyll Island.
0: (laughs) That too. So (laughs) just say it. Yeah. It's one of those strange things. So it, it really is a, it's an interesting, uh, Position because this we talked you and I talked about this even earlier today about the narcotic of power because the narcotic of power is very subtle you can definitely see Joseph being pulled into this seeing that he's doing the right thing but because he has the power to do things loses his regular connection with Father God he just literally is now starting to steer out on his own and listening to Pharaoh rather than listening to God. And I, again, this is, well, is, go ahead.
2: What I think is important is we're told in the rest of Genesis, there's a number of times when Joseph does seek the Lord. And we're looking through chapter 47 and we're not told he's doing anything. We're, we're, we're told what he's doing, but we're not told that he's trying to be in consult with God. You just end up going like, to your point, is he caught up in this? Is he thinking that, Hey, you know, this is, this is part of the process. It's kind of like, you know, teach a man to to, to give him a fish or teach a man to fish. What are you going to do? And it's like, well, Joseph, you're not doing that. You're taking his rod. You're taking his reel. You're taking his bait and you're handing him back a little bait.
0: Right. So it's give a man a fish and he'll feed his family for a day. Teach a man to fish. He feeds his family for life. And he's taken away the means to feed the family and instead given him the ability only to feed his family for one night. That's, that's an incredible shift of position, even as the Lord would want us to walk.
2: What's what's even bizarre to me is in this exchange, it's the people's idea. They're saying, Hey, uh, we're not asking something for nothing. We're invested in this, but I got, you've already taken everything I have. I don't have anything else to offer you, but You can buy us. I I can sell myself and my labor to you. I can sell my freedom to you. And then you can take our land. It's like, guess what? They were landowners. So we didn't have just a bunch of serfs who were working Pharaoh's land. These people had land and they made a transaction with Pharaoh. Pharaoh bought the land. And then it's interesting because it says Joseph bought the land and every every Egyptian sold his field because of the famine was so severe, and the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to cities. And I'm going like, oh dang, this is not this is this is looking very Klaus Schwab to me.
0: It's looking very Agenda 2030 to it's me. It's
2: like they don't want rural dwellers. They don't want mountain people. They they basically want to herd people into cities. And what's what's crazy is they didn't pay them in money. They paid them in seed. And I'm going like, gosh, that's a little bizarre. Are they just supposed to eat the seed? Or are they still supposed to work the land? And are they still trying to eke out harvest, even though we're in a time of severe famine and and difficulty? It's like, I don't think they had the rain that they used to expect. And I don't know that they have the same kind of Nile flooding that 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 happens, you know. It's like so you're just going like we're not told those details, but I'm going like you pay them in seed, and that would suggest that we're still trying to grow stuff. We're still trying to do stuff, but as opposed to letting them stay in their houses and you move them to cities, you're you're putting them continually into a welfare dependent, controlled class of people. But it makes the comment not so for the the priests the sort of elite class, those who are part of the, the heads of who's running all the worship and how everything happens. And so it's like, why are they exempted? Why do they get to live off the fat of the land? Again, nowhere in this do we have any commentary from the living God who's saying from the outside, hey, great job, good decisions. This is a great takedown of a nation of Egypt, or this is a great way to provide for the people we get zero commentary on god's perspective on this and i end up going like gosh i think it's a bummer because we don't really we don't really read a lot of this stuff for ourselves and ask the questions we sort of are usually having the truth told to us and so when i first started looking at this i was in the process of writing a book with another buddy who you know had all these prophetic words about the joseph company and all this other stuff and anybody who has a destiny in God and hangs around charismatic services at some point have someone prophesy over them. You're like Joseph. <laughs> and so I end up going like, okay, so I have all the Joseph prophecies too. I really want to look at this. What did this guy do? And my buddy was thinking, you know, hey, this is awesome because he didn't just do the benevolence, give it away thing. He sort of engaged people in the process. And man, he, he had a great opportunity and he just sort of like, you know, in the time of the Great Depression, people that were in a position that had means, they cleaned up. They they became the owners of everything and the dispossessors of everyone else. And I'm going like, when I was being told that, I'm going like, you know, great for the guys that got stuff, but that's kind of sucky. I mean, I didn't. it didn't sit well with me. I'm going like, I don't like this. And I'm looking at Joseph and I'm going like, you know, I don't like what you're doing to the Egyptians, and I'm pretty sure the
0: Egyptians don't either. Well, let me let me. I'm not and sure what's that, even
2: worse is, that, that,
0: go ahead. Well, I'm not sure exactly that at that point. I would I would argue a little differently because I think we've just witnessed this, and this is what I wanted to consider. The Egyptians may not have realized what they got rooked into until it was too late. So this is where I go, and this is this gets into human behavior that obviously it's not, this is not going to refer to scripture, but I think that we can see a pattern here pretty clearly on what you're showing. We just went through it. This is, it was called COVID, right? And we, we literally saw a nation lose its collective mind and go from being a group that was obviously conflicted with its unity, but a lot of interesting challenges there but nonetheless literally overnight with a fanning of flames of fear of the end of the world which is what COVID ultimately represents and the years of conditioning that go along in believing in these sort of prophecies then it was very easy for people to walk into this idea that unless we all comply unless we all get in this boat together unless we all get vaccinated unless we do this everyone else is the enemy everyone else is wrong Everyone else, there's no other way but to just give up everything and do what the state tells you. We're yeah, a,
2: unless you go with the herd,
0: right? So it's it's it pure herd obedience. It's not even herd mentality. It's herd obedience. And I think yeah. when you, as you're articulating the story well and breaking it down, I think we're seeing this because it's just as with COVID, it was incremental and began with the fear, it began with the ma- it followed with the masks that the mask and the fear together blinded people to seeing alternative therapies. It blinded people to even hearing the options of things like HCQ and ivermectin, the media's mockery of Trump, et cetera, and then moving that further into that space where we get into the vax. And it's like there's no more hearing that this is is an experimental injection, right? It's like I've got to have it to survive. Yes, except that there's a 99.5% survival rate. For most classes, the lowest was a ninety-eight point three. I mean, we're, we're we don't hear this anymore, and so it's a collective like we all have to do this. And if we don't, we're all going to die. I hear that a lot in this moment because we've seen a vision, and this is what's interesting about it. I mean, he's, I mean, let's be honest. He's he's had a dream interpreted, and he's basing an entire strategy on a nation. You're not going to move that nation forward uniformly like this unless there is a mass information program behind it it's just not going to happen right
1: Right.
0: so that mass information program is very much what we went through only it's run by pharaoh and pharaoh said i bless off on this and i still can't imagine that there's not some opportunistic ideas in there that are like with this i can acquire so much more
2: what's weird 50 years of sitting and listening to church sermons Nobody ever talked to me and walked me through Joseph's story where the fact is it wasn't all the, all the income free. Everyone goes this way. It's like, guess what? He bought all the land of the people, but he didn't buy the land of the priests. The priests had a special allotment from Pharaoh and they lived off that. They, 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 they had the provisions of the palace. And now the palace is raking in the cash and they're doing better than they've ever done Joseph is just phenomenal administrator he's just an economic you know you all Harari genius for us and he's 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 just he's Pharaohs could never be happier going like wow you you know how to you know how to run this it's like where'd you get that you know wisdom? Oh well, he was a felon in prison. And you know, where do most guys learn
0: how to administrate great great cartels? Well,
2: guys, they they learn stuff.
0: Just just saying, just was, trying to give a little mock I was working yeah. with the early old Chapo. Let's let's keep going.
2: So. Yeah. And so it's but it's interesting. Joseph in verse 23 says, Okay, I bought you and I bought your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you that you may sow in the land. And I just end up going like, okay, wow. It's like you've got the upper hand on every transaction, but they still have to sow if they have any hope to reap. And 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 here, here's here's the exchange. Here's here's what you get now, because I'm giving you seed this year. Um, we're going to put a, a, a we're going to make a new statute at the harvest. You shall give one fifth of it to Pharaoh. You can keep four fifths, but we're going to impose a 20 percent tax on all your harvests. And they decided to make that uh, an eternal statute, kind of like, you know, every tax increase. It, it, it stays in effect from the guys that, that put it on there. It hardly ever is going to change. And, and the Egyptians, they said, oh, you've saved our lives. Let us find favor that, 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 that we may be Pharaoh's slaves. It's kind of like I sat there going, like, when I read that, I kind of went, you know what? I think Klaus Schwab got his ideas for the Great Reset out of reading Genesis 47 and going like, I know what to do. We'll bring a famine. And in the process of what's going on, we will incrementally remove their freedom and we will provide for their sustenance. They won't own anything at the end of all this, but they'll be happy. Why? Well, because you've engineered all the difficulty And in the process, you've dispossessed them of the means of production, the freedom of production, and they, because they wanted the security, were happy to give the exchange. And so, you know, this is not how, I'm pretty sure you can search the internet and you will find zero uh, commentaries that will have ever presented what Joseph did as the Great Reset. But I look at it and I go like, tell me I'm wrong.
0: No, I don't think you are. And this is just it. It's it's a pretty amazing... I, I want to go back into the lead-up of this. There are certain things that we, we read, we take for granted. And human behavior is consistent. I mean, there are certain aspects of human behavior that's consistent culture to culture and across the world. And one of those is the willingness to give up what you own It doesn't come naturally. That's a really important piece. So what we have is... It doesn't come natural to say, oh, I bought a house, and so I'll give it to you for the sake of humanity. That's not a normal transition. We're seeing some of that mentality now by virtue of this global warming climate change scam that's all based on an education indoctrination process that's channeled the thinking in such a narrow bandwidth and such a stovepipe that if you dare look outside the limits of this— you're excoriated, you're a heretic, and you're thrown out of the out of the cult. And that's a greater fear than complying. So when we look at what's happened here with Joseph, which I find eye-opening, is that he simply gets the edict from the Pharaoh to say, go forth and buy land, go forth and acquire this. Yet we don't hear of any... And there could be some of this. We don't hear of any oppression or revolution or uh, Praetorian, Praetorian Guard-type hand-crushing that's going on in the in the kingdom to make people comply. That's not the way the story is written. In fact, we hear that Joseph is simply doing transactional exchanges with what appear to be a compliant or willfully accepting population. That's not going to happen, not unless you've preceded this with a lot of years end time of preparation to get people ready to accept this new era of giving up. And that means to me,
2: think of Egypt in terms of their whole belief structure. They believe Pharaoh is God and Pharaoh is the one who administrates all the other gods to work in harmony, to keep in essence, the peace and things happening. So you have a people who've been conditioned to respond to the edicts and the dictates of leadership. And I think the thing that bums me out, the reason I kind of get, you know, I think this is really important is Joseph just falls right into that slipstream. Is he anointed by God? Yes, I'm going to say he actually really is. Is he being used by God? Yes. We'll get commentary in the rest of Genesis that talks about, you know, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God actually sent me down here that I'd be in the position that I could save not only my people, but I could save, you know, the nation and the world at the time during this you know crazy time of famine. And it's like, that's all one aspect of commentary that Joseph declares, and he believes he's serving God in this. And I, I'm not going to say he's not, but I don't think it's as sanitary as just that. Because I asked, I asked myself this question. Why did the people of Israel that came down, they were Joseph's family, and Pharaoh was so enamored with him, he gave them the best of the land, Goshen. It's like beachfront in Malibu. It's like they, they that's what he gave them. And how did those people end up in slavery for 400 years?
0: And that's where we no, leave. Nowhere to. are we told the answer? No, but I think that's exactly you know, I, what you're leaving. I, I
2: think it's the Egyptians are ticked off. And I think they realize because at the end of chapter 47, it says now Israel lived in the land of Egypt and Goshen and they acquired property in it, and they were fruitful, and they became prosperous. And you just go like, they didn't experience anything of what the Egyptians did. The Egyptians are, you saved us, thank you, we're just glad to be alive, and we're jazzed to be Pharaoh's slaves. The Israelites, they grew, they they reproduced, they were prosperous, and they acquired lands. Somewhere in this They were the opportunists that they did well in the time of crisis.
0: Yep. That's, this is these sort of interesting close read gaps that occur here. Just as I, it was just kind of going back to that, the conditioning. So the conditioning is not years of conditioning for a famine. It's the conditioning of following the edicts of the Pharaoh. That's a big one. Yeah. The contradiction, which you've already stated, which is, so obvious, is that Joseph is of God, not of Pharaoh. So he's not following Pharaoh, he's following God. And so somehow, and this is an interesting one, how is it that they know of, they apparently know of Joseph, or at least his God, and yet Pharaoh says, we're going to he's going to do what i tell him to do or he's what he needs to do he's i'm giving him the authority and there's no apparent questioning of that conflict between two gods almost like oh they've come together and they're, they're like arm locked doing kumbaya and and doing line dances right
2: yeah i mean i i look at this and i go like okay pharaoh didn't do this to his own people joseph did and pharaoh's not upset cuz Farrell came out, you know, massive. The treasury has never been more. You know, so I've been killing it. This is great. We had seven years of abundance and seven years of kind of challenging deals. But I was the art of the deal. I, I, I did, I did fantastic. And I don't want to. I don't really want to poke at Trump to be honest. But I do want to bring out this thought. I don't think anywhere in all of our lives should we ever make the simplistic conclusion is this guy a good guy or a bad guy and and we just sort of make that singular decision like well i think he's he's a good guy therefore everything that he does must be good and you're just going like i'm not sure i'm not sure what joseph did in this bit was all directed by god or that god anywhere says and this is great you know hand clap joseph you did super job because i think as soon as pharaoh was gone and joseph was gone it was the great reversal and the people that suffered under this moment they remembered what had happened to them they were dispossessed of all that they owned and they were made slaves and then it they did the reversal on the nation of the hebrews so, let, and let me, you're going let me, like let me throw they in went something from, here Let me throw in something
0: here because I think it's really important what you just said. And that is they did the reversal, which we're already seeing. This gets into this two weeks I've spent talking about having a forgiving heart and trusting in God for justice. They did the reversal, but we have to go back to why they got there. They did it on their own free will, apparently because they asked Pharaoh to make them slaves. Yep. So there's that piece. The other part we don't know in this is it appears that Joseph had a pretty heavy hand mean meaning that if you didn't obey, we could take, we're offering you fair market value. If we don't, if you don't agree with it, we're going to take it. it. It appears that's the way I don't know if you have, if that's, Well, I they didn't know.
2: vote on the, um, on the 20% tax that's here imposed for here on out for life. Right. You just go like that was just a dictate that and, and people had to, you know, like it or, or, or not, but you got to do it.
0: We, we, actually didn't vote for biden either but we got him so <laughs> <Yes, laughs> yes.
2: it's, it's it's good to be the king or Pharaoh you know it's not so awesome to be the everybody else because you had live downstream of the dictates it's right. like well I don't know that this was fair they didn't vote they didn't say hey let's let's discuss this a little bit in a time of crisis I would tell everyone to be forewarned mm-hmm you are going to be taken advantage of by those that have if you find yourself in the scared position of, I don't have, or I don't know who to turn to. And I just go like, wow, you know, when does a people ever cry out to the living God? When, do, when does a people ever wonder if what's happening is happening and is it, is it mutable? Can we change it? You know, is there something that we're meant to learn and meant to respond? Or are we all just trying to survive? Because I don't think you're going to make the best future decisions if that's all you can see.
0: I think that's critical. I think this is we're we're seeing something here, kind of a parallel piece. I have a hard time in listening to this story, not factoring in that there when Pharaoh gave his word or gave his edict to Joseph, that there wasn't some understanding of the opportunistic gain that he was going to make through this process. I, I really have a hard time separating from that. I could be wrong. But looking at the future of Pharaoh later in the stubbornness, if it's the same Pharaoh, but meaning there's, there tends to be a couple of them. It's a title, not a person.
2: Yeah, they they, they they die and new ones come on board, and there's one that comes on board that wasn't friends of Joseph, and he's the guy that does the great reversal. We're going like, you know, they, they've bred too fast. They've got way more people than we do, and they're getting too strong, too mighty, and, and we don't trust them. And so they enslaved them. It's, and, you know... Again, my commentary, I've read this nowhere. No one has ever suggested this, but I end up going like, the reason I'm not happy with what Joseph did is because you leave people in a forced enslavement, their own indenturedness, because they didn't have any options. But you didn't have to do it this way. If they were always going to be sowing and they were going to be trying to work their fields,
0: you didn't have to dispossess them of everything; you really didn't. But see, Brad, but I you, think this you, again—the you opportunity. It, this is important here, is that I hear that, but I also hear this in the story: is that the framing of the narrative is so powerful that they are their willful, their willful participants in this disempowerment and this impersonal enslavement. And this is where I go back again to the COVID experience because we have seen a willfulness of people to give up everything for a fear that was generated in the media and fanned by the flames by media and government. And they've literally handed over everything over this. They've divided families. You literally, because a person chooses not to wear a mask or take a vax, you had whole families being like, you can't show up to Christmas. I mean, what's we can't show up to Thanksgiving. What nonsense is that? But it's this group think that it imposes itself, and then there's this willful march off the cliff and into the sea below. and there and there's literally no rationale. There is a certain point in this story that that's happening. I realize that they have Pharaohs supposedly God and they're listening to edicts and they're going to follow him obediently. But they do. (laughs) I guess that's the way to say it is like they do. And they they go overboard. They're like, oh, wait a minute. It's not enough that you take our land. We're good with that. Thanks. And that you took our grain. We're good with that too. Thanks. And that you paid us in seed. We're good with that. Thanks. But now we've got a better deal for you. We'll be your slaves. You're like, wow. If I was Pharaoh, I'd be like...
2: awesome these people are great right
0: i be like <laughs> "Watch I my period. Su- i would literally be like that'd be like well i have good such i have such good subjects they just love me so much they're yeah. willing to be my slaves
2: i am i am such a benevolent god <laughs> um you know what's, what's so crazy is here's here's why it bugs me and here's why i think the fact that you're airing this on thanksgiving is utterly perfect I, I don't know if everyone knows the story of Squanto. Do, do you know the story of Squanto, that Indian guy that was there at the first um, Thanksgiving for the pilgrims washed ashore on America?
0: I know some, but I'm going to let you tell it. Go.
2: What's interesting is just a just little thumbnail. Squanto, um, before he was grabbed and taken as a slave with his own village plundered by people that were there before the pilgrims. And he was taken off to England and he was taught how to um, read and write and speak English. And then somehow he got himself free and back to America. Now, we don't actually know all the details about how that happened, but it just so happened that when the the folks on the Mayflower shipwrecked, finally come ashore, they got nothing Who's come strolling down the beach but Joseph Squanto. I I threw Joseph in there just for the parallel. You got someone who seems to be set there by the providence of God. And what are the chances that this Native American just walking down the beach speaks English? Well, lo and behold, God set that up and and he's there and he knows, you know what? I'm going to help these guys out. They don't know how to get like they got a plant. If they're going to survive, they got to figure things out. And this is, they're totally new here. They're show shocked. They don't want to do. They're just glad to be alive. Um, I'm going to teach them how to use the fish to sort of, you know, put that on, on on the fields. And that'll be sort of the fertilizer because they ran out of nitrogen in, you know, 2022. Um, and so he, he he helps them. He could have in that moment, been a massive opportunist saying, hey, I know the land. I know this is, I'll make you such a deal he made them no such deal he just helped them and all the all the beautiful pictures we have of the you know the 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 paintings of the original um you know mayflower folks sitting down with the indians and having that first thanksgiving meal they were all in a absolute difficult bind it was a hard year on the indians too and they learned how to work together nobody sat there and made someone else their slave and nobody took advantage of somebody else they all came together and because of that they had a thanksgiving to celebrate and i end up going like okay wow joseph gets thrown in jail and he gets taken you know captive it's it's he got squantoed and and then and then he got released to you know be the guy with the revelation at the moment and then he did awesome and and he provided for everybody. And so I'm not going to ding him. It was the people's idea to say, hey, we got nothing left. You can buy us in our land. And it's like, okay, so I'm not going to hang that on Joseph. But you end up going like, wow, you didn't have to do it this way. You could have You could have left those people in a much more empowered place because you still made them work in the fields. They still had to grow their harvest. They still had to bring in their harvest. You just profited at every single level. And I don't think there's anything wrong with profiting. But I do think it's pretty bad to do it in a time of crisis to someone else's disadvantage. And Benjamin Franklin, who I think is like the founding father to all the founding fathers. He's the father of all the founding fathers. He said to a people who are willing to give up their freedom, their liberty for a little bit of security, deserve neither. And I end up going like, wow, that is a really powerful quote, because I think the true true reality is most of us in a time of crisis, we freak. And anyone who will come and provide us the sense of security, the offer of provision is going to have a real good chance at being Pharaoh and making all the dictates. And I think that is the reality of what's being set up, is we're looking at a time of crisis, and it's not going to be something that we're averted Why is it, and you've mentioned this all the time, why is it that all of our elected officials, nobody is talking to us about the storm on on the horizon and what we're going to have to deal with, and here's what we need to do and how to prepare? I end up going like, I think we're going to get Joseph in this exchange because they have the provisions that they need. They are the priests that don't have to sell their fields. They'll live off the government's allotment for them. And they'll be fine. So nowhere do you have the priests telling the people what to do. They're just they're kind of on the sidelines, and they're all doing fine.
0: Patriots. That's the end of part one of the interview with Pastor Brad Cummings. The second part will air in the time slot for Fishers, though it's titled Tonight Bards FM Part Two. But nonetheless, I think uh, this is a really insightful review of Joseph. I think it gives us a lot of things to look at and a lot of lessons to keep in mind. I think one of the greatest things we're experiencing in this period of the awakening is the ability now to use the context of now, the lessons that we're learning, literally the awakening of the realities around us, and be able to go back into Scripture and see some of the deeper things that have been there. Many of us have read these stories over and over, and as that happens, we begin to see deeper into the Scriptures and the lessons that I believe truly God is leading us to see. This is a great interpretation and a reframing of what Joseph is. And as Brad said very clearly, he's a good guy. But the question is, is somewhere along the way, was he truly serving God or was he serving his own interests, thinking he was serving God? This is one of the greatest traps that we can all fall in, and it's one we have to be con- constantly aware of. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. that We've come together and we're blessed in this evening of Thanksgiving as we're reflecting deeply on the state of the world, the scriptural references that we discussed tonight are giving us another lens on the world and the traps that we can easily fall into in our attempt to be safe, in our attempt to seek control or confidence in our world, and always the same mistake, not putting our eyes on you and through Christ to you, Father. So in these periods, Father, when we deviate, we ask for forgiveness, when we walk off that path. We ask for the forgiveness, and we ask for that nudge as well to remind us truly where our eyes need to be. This is a challenging time. There's so much flurry of noise and confusion. There's so still so much stone throwing and people being so hateful for one another. There's still so much vengeance in people's heart. So we pray, Father, that much of that can dissipate as we return to that strength in the warrior in Christ to walk boldly in truth to have the compassion, to have the forgiving heart and the love for one another and to raise up rather than to try to press down and crush. In these times, Father, we know that the only way through this is to keep our eyes on you as we continue to push forward, seeking the the true love and alignment with you and also the power within kingdom. We say these things in Christ Jesus name. Amen. Well, Patriots, I hope you'll Hope to see you back for the second part. I I know this is a great evening for everybody. Everybody's had a lot to eat. Duncan's show is in 30, or actually now it's uh, about 22 minutes, so that gives you enough time to run over, fix another plate, put some more cranberries, fresh cranberries with your white meat from the turkey. Make sure you get another big slice of pie or two or three, whatever desserts you're having. Add some ice cream on there. Carb yourself up like crazy. Get ready for Duncan's show. And this is, uh, and by the way, these shows are, are diet approved tonight, so you don't have to worry about that. I, I understand that is you can eat endless, endlessly tonight, and it's uh, low calorie, low fat, everything because it's Thanksgiving. I think all is forgiven. All right, Patriots, so keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end... And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight again for part two of the Brad Cummings interview. Until then, or until the next time, God bless. And out for now.